Welcome to New Life Church. How's everybody doing today? You love Jesus? Loving Jesus at church. Good. So glad that you're here. My name is Chris, uh, one of the pastors at New Life. And it, man, I just got to tell you, every single week, if not every day that I get to come to this place and serve this church, I pinch myself. I love being at New Life Church. I first arrived here in 2004, and ever since then, this place has, and, these, and you, this church, has just found a place in my heart. So it's an honor to get to serve you, to serve our pastors in the role that I'm in, and, and to serve our lead pastor, Jeff and Kim Baker. It's an honor to serve the, their heart and their vision. And so, man, that's who I am, and that's why I'm here today, because I love you, and I love what God's doing through this church. And I get to kick off a brand new teaching series on this Independence Day. The series is called FAQ. Everybody understand what FAQ stands for, right? It's frequently asked questions. So in this series, we're going to be looking at frequently asked questions about matters of faith, specifically faith and life. And in the first three weeks, we are focusing on three of the questions that, that we hear that people, when they're considering matters of faith, are asking. But then on the fourth week, we need your help. And so over the next three weeks, in fact, today, you can even get out your phone right now. If you have a question that, that's been stirring in your heart um, you know, recently, would you text in that question to the number that's on your screen, 308 303-3800. And so that's the phone number. You just text your question. Uh, and so, I mean, you can, it could be a spiritual question. It could be a question like this. What on earth does Pastor Chris do, right, at New Life Church? What is an executive pastor? You know, we, we're probably not going to preach a sermon on that, but, you know, whatever question that's been frequently stirring in your mind. And today we are looking at this question, and it's this, can I find freedom from sinning. Can I find freedom have si from sinning? Has that ever crossed your mind? What is the earliest memory that you have of sinning? You didn't know you were going to do this at church today, right? Rehearse back to your very first sins. Not the first time you sinned. You're going to have to ask your parents about that. But the first memory that you have of choosing to sin. I remember when I was about five years old, my dad is a pastor still to this day. He was a pastor back then and we had a daycare at our church. And so I'm kind of like reliving my dad's life uh, in the role that I'm serving. My wife serves as the daycare director here at New Life Church and we had a daycare. And so I would get, I would get to go over and play with the daycare kids. And at the daycare, there was a Millennium Falcon does anybody know what a Millennium Falcon is, right? It was a toy uh, from the Star Wars movie, the, the Starship, the, the Millennial Falcon. I'm probably even saying Starship is wrong, but it's that ship from Star Wars. And it was there at the daycare. And while all the kids went in, I remember wanting that Millennium Falcon so bad that I took it. And, and I remember I went over to, to my house and I was playing with it in the yard of my house and my father came out and uh, he said, Chris, where did you get that? So not only was there the temptation to sin and that I wanted to steal this toy, but in that moment, I remember at the age of about five or six, 
being tempted once again because now I was caught in my first sin to try to come up with some reason that I stole this. And so imagine five or six-year-olds, and, and so your, your dad's asking you, where did you get this toy? And I said, well, I was digging in the yard, and I was digging, and I just found this Millennium Falcon in the yard. And I do remember this, that I, I know my father is not gullible enough to believe that lie, but in that moment, he showed some grace and he actually led me to believe that he believed me. That's my earliest memory of sinning. I think at an early age, I can identify with the poet Oscar Wilde who said, I can resist anything except temptation. Can you identify with that? And so maybe there's this question, is it possible for me to find freedom from sinning? And as we look at this question today, I want to lay a foundation for it about the subject of sin. And so if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, which I recognize there's people that, that are coming, you're pursuing matters of faith, you're asking these types of questions, you're seeking, is Jesus real? Does he have an impact in my life or relevance to my life? And if you're not a Jesus follower, you know, let me just tell you this, that freedom from the penalty of your sins is only found through faith in Jesus. It's only found through faith in Jesus. So nothing that I say today to attempt to answer this question in a way from God's word is going to be of any impact or consequence to you until you first come to a place where you surrender your life to Jesus. And at all of our locations Today, a campus pastor is going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus and through faith put your trust in him. You don't have to wait till the end of the service right now. You can make an altar in your seat if you're sitting at home and you can profess your faith and put your trust in Jesus. But until then, what I'm going to talk about is, there, is it possible to find freedom from sinning is not going to make a big difference in your life. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, you need to have this confidence that you've been been justified through your faith in Jesus. You've been made right with God. Your sins have been forgiven and God's kingdom has now come in your, in your heart. You see, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are living your life in your own kingdom, in your own world where you are the king. Whether or not you see it that way or not, you are living in a kingdom. And when Jesus comes into your life through surrender and through faith, his kingdom now comes and begins to rule and reign in your heart. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what's happened in your life. Yet you may still find yourself wrestling with a temptation or maybe even a sin habit. And you've asked this question, is it possible to find freedom from this temptation and from actually acting out on that temptation? Or am I just bound to sin? Now, for all of us, we need to understand the nature of sin. So I'm going to go to Romans chapter 7. That gives us a good picture in verse 22 and 23. This is uh, the Apostle Paul, and he's given a snapshot in time of, of what's going on in the life of a person. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But then he says, but I see another law. Everybody say, another law. I see another law at work in, within me, waging war against the law of my mind. Again, his mind was, uh, was wanting to honor God. In his mind, he delighted in the law of God. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. See, what Paul is saying 
is that all of us have this fundamental nature within us to be and to act independent from the rule of God. In fact, that's a great definition of sin, to be and to act independent from God. Now here, law, when he says, I see this law or the law of sin and death, law here means an influential power. Can you identify with that? This influential power within you or this strong desire within you that comes from this this law. Now here, what Paul's saying when he talks about sin, he's not talking about sin as an event or an action like I lied or I lusted, that is sinning, and what's what we're talking about today, but he's talking about this influential force or this influential power within, and he says it tempts me to act out, it tempts you to act out in your emotions, in what goes on in your mind, and then in your behavior, in your speech, it, it tempts you within and it comes out. James 1.14 tells us this, that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil, what? Desire, their own evil desire and enticed. So why do you sin? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe even in a time of prayer, you've asked that question, why do I sin? Well, sin makes a promise to us. It makes a lot of promises to us. And we believe it. Sin promises that what it has to offer is more pleasurable, it's better, it's more satisfying than Jesus. That's what sin promises you. And if you are deceived by that promise and you give in to that promise, then what happens? You sin. None of you sin out of obligation, even though there's this law or this influential power working within you. You don't get up, you didn't get up today and say, you know, I am obligated to sin. What can I do to begin sinning today? Nobody sins out of obligation. We sin out of pleasure seeking. Isn't that true? Sin promises is something that's better. And we sin, we give into that because we're seeking pleasure. So what could motivate us not to sin? There's a few things that come to my mind. You know, I might be motivated not to sin to just simply avoid the consequences, right? I mean, that's kind of a, can be seen as a good thing. I want to avoid the fallout in relationships, in life, and possibly losing a relationship or my job or getting put in prison or, you know, when we're talking about what we see as the big sins to avoid the consequences. Or I might be motivated not to sin out of a wrong view of God that I want to earn God's forgiveness and grace. I'm going to earn God's approval and favor. And so I'm motivated out of this, this, um, negative fear that I should not sin so that I can get right with God, or we're motivated not to sin out of pride, that we want to be seen by ourselves and by everybody else as holy and righteous, and really the root of that is pride. And let me just tell you this, I'm going to talk about it later in the message, but just willing yourself not to sin is not the answer, because you will yourself not to sin. What does it produce? Self-righteousness, pride. Or what I would suggest to you, for those of you who are following Jesus, to begin to cultivate, to recognize this and stir this up. For those of you that are seeking Jesus today, to understand that this is what God has to offer you. 
that he wants to give a new life to you, a new kingdom that comes into your heart that produces a desire within you to please him, that produces this desire to believe a better promise than sin has to offer, a better pleasure in Jesus. It is God that wants to do the work within you to give you the desire to do what pleases him. And in fact, in a letter to disciples of Jesus, we find this promise in Philippians 2.13. It says, in fact, God is working in you. Everybody say, God is working in me. That is true. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, God is working in you. And what is he doing? He's given you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's good news. That is good news if you are struggling with this question of, is it possible to find freedom for sinning? You need to be aware of what God is doing in you. And then we're going to talk about some things that you can help to catalyze and partner and cooperate with God's work within you. And so today, if you have that desire, my goal is really just to add some gasoline to that fire. That desire to do what pleases the Lord and to give you something to focus your heart on. And, and, and I want you to keep this in mind. This is very important. We are not talking today about what it means or how to earn salvation. That's only by God's grace. Rather, what we're talking about, this desire and the, the responding spiritual disciplines and the things that you can do are a result of the desire that God is putting in you. And as a result or in response to God's amazing grace that he has poured out upon your life. In response to salvation, there is a promise, there is a better promise that, than sin has to offer. And so I'm going to talk from Psalm 19:14. This is one of my key verses here today. And just before that, before you bring that up on the screen, I want to let you know that in this verse, the psalmist, right before it, he's praying this prayer. Really, this whole thing is a song. It's a prayerful song. And he's saying, Lord... Keep me from willfully sinning. So I think it relates directly to what we're talking about today. And then in verse 14, he says this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How many think that's an admirable desire to have? Amen? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And so he starts off, he focuses on behavior, the words of my mouth and his desire, and I, my prayer is that your desire is to allow God to so infiltrate your life that what he does on the inside comes out, right? It comes out in behavior, may the words of my mouth. And then he takes it deeper, and I want to really hit on this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, may the things that linger in my heart please you. Now, why is that so important to him? And why is it so important to you and I? Well, Proverbs gives us a glimpse. It says, above all else, in verse 23 of chapter 4, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Why is it so important that the meditations of my heart be pleasing to the Lord? Because out of my heart flows Life And if the heart is the wellspring of life, then what you meditate on are the ingredients, people. They're the ingredients of what will come out. In fact, Jesus enforced this truth in Matthew 12, 35. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of, of a good heart. 
And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Now, Jesus is just giving the facts here. He's not telling you anything to do. He's just saying the way it is. That if there is a good heart, it's going to produce good things. And so if you're not surrendered to Jesus, if his kingdom has not come in your heart, if you are still really the one calling the shots, then today before I'm finished with this message, my hope and my prayer is that you allow Jesus to come and be the ruler and king of your heart. And so back to Psalm chapter 19 in verse 14. As I said, this was a, a, a song, a prayerful song that the psalmist sang, and it's the final verse of the song. It is the amen, if you will, to the previous 13 verses that came before it. And guess what came before it? The words of the psalmist's mouth and the meditation of his heart. Now, I encourage you to read it. These are the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart. And he ends it by saying, God, after I've said all this, may, here's my heartful prayer. May the words of my mouth, the words that I've just say, said, and what is stirring in my heart that has just come out be pleasing to you. Now, remember, it's not just an act of your self-will. Can I find freedom from sinning? It's not about hearing a sermon today. I hope that you don't just hear this sermon today, fill a tinge of guilt, and then just resolve in your heart to do better next time. But it is God that gives you the desire. If there is zero desire, then you are in a troubling place. And may I encourage you, if you're aware, man, I just don't have that, that desire. Come to Jesus who gives you that desire. Surrender your life to him. Before you leave today, we're going to give you an opportunity, and every single week, we guarantee this, that we will give you and your friends an opportunity to allow God's kingdom to come in their heart. It's God that gives you that desire. And that desire leads you to this attitude in another part of the book of Psalms, Psalm 119.11. This is a, should be, I think, a life first for every follower of Jesus. He says, the psalmist, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that good? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, it's important to know that hidden right here does not mean, it means hidden, but it doesn't mean hidden in the sense of I'm going to conceal it. I'm going to keep my faith in the word of God to myself, right? I'm going to hide it from everybody. It means that I have treasured. I have stored up. I have, this is something so valuable to me that I've hidden it, I've treasured it, I've stored it up in my heart. I remember back in the day when we used to write letters instead of texting and email and I met my wife Lynette at, at Bible College. I was going to North Central Bible College and God had called her to be in education, but she he also called her to uh, be in ministry and she felt God called her to marry a pastor and I thank God so much for that and she said well where do you find a pastor you go to where pastors go to school and so she came to North Central and and we met and we began this relationship and we would write letters back and forth to one another and some of you who are older like me that you can remember that and older you can remember love letters right and I would get these letters from Lynette at the age of 19 20 years old and we, I mean, we just had been together. We just went on a you know, walk through the park, but I would get a letter and I would go back to my room and I would read it and I would reread it and I would try to read between the lines. You know what I'm saying, guys? You're like, what, what does she mean? Oh, that's what she means. And I treasured those letters, right? I would rehearse them. 
I would read them over and over again. Can anybody relate to me that's older? Come on. And that's a picture, I think, of what the psalmist is painting for us. I haven't just read your words. I have treasured your word in my heart. Lord, I haven't just listened to a sermon online or come to church and heard a word from you through a sermon, but I have stored up your word in my heart. And one of the motivating factors is, God, that I might be guarded from acts of sin, that I might not sin against you. God, it's not just I know scripture, I'm going to quote scripture, but I've hidden your word in my, treasured, I've stored it up in my heart. Here's another picture from Psalm 1, 1 through 3. It says, blessed is the person who does not follow the vice of wicked people. Take the path of sinners or join the company of mockers. Rather, he delights in the teaching of the Lord. And then look at this. And reflects on his teachings day and night. Are you getting the picture of a person that wants God to please God, that wants to keep their life from the evils of sin, that I've delighted in God's word, I've reflected upon God's word. He is like a tree planted beside streams, a tree that produces fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. He succeeds in everything he does. It's a poetic way of talking about the kingdom of God coming in our life and what it looks like. It gives life. That's how you hide God's word in your heart. You rehearse it. You plant the word of God. You water it. You allow it to take seed. You store it up. You look for ways, if you're wrestling with, how do I read God's word? In fact, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, go to the events, find today's sermon at New Life Church, and in those notes, you're going to be able to follow along, but there's also a link in there to a series called How to Read the Bible, and it's through Right Now Media, which we have a free subscription for you, and it's several short video clips that get, just are going to help you, teach you, train you on how do I read the Bible. Find a relationship with somebody that knows how to read God's word, reflect on God's word, and get what God is saying out of God's word. Hiding in your heart. You plan it, you water it, you rehearse it, you reflect upon it. And why does he do this? Well, one of the things he says to us is that I might not sin against you. You see this desire of Psalm 1914. I believe is empowered by the commitment of Psalm 1911. What do I mean by that? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my, my, my redeemer. How does that happen? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you're finding difficulty with a sin habit, you're finding, man, I just don't know how to be free from this. And there, there's, there's several, I mean, this could be a whole sermon series where we can walk through how relationships are important and how serving in ministry is important and finding your personal quiet time is important with the Lord. But let me just encourage you to start here is get into God's word. Get with somebody that knows how to get in God's word and hide, treasure, store up God's word in your heart. You see, there's a promise that God makes for every person who surrenders their life to him that as you cooperate with his work in your life over a lifelong pursuit, let me just remind you, it's a lifelong pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus, of following him. It's not just a legal transaction that you stamp, you're good, you're on your way to heaven, now figure it out and just live how you want. But it's a lifelong pursuit of his kingdom coming into your life right here and now. The promise is that as you do this, as you're a disciple, he's going to give you the desire. 
an American psych, psych, uh, psychologist named Abraham Maslow, he gives this picture to us that I believe is a great metaphor. It's called the four stages of competence. The four stages of competence. Now, he's not talking about sin or faith or anything here, but it has a great relationship. Stage one, four stages of competence is unconscious incompetence. How many can identify with that? Unconscious, and you're incompetent about something that you're unaware of. How many, how many have a, a, somebody you work with that's like that? No, don't raise your hand. Unconscious incompetence. I'm unaware of my incompetence. It's stage two, conscious incompetence. It's you're becoming aware of your incompetence. It's the, one of the first things you need to do is admit you have a problem, right? Conscious incompetence. Stage three, conscious competence. You are competent, speaking of matters of faith, you're competent in matters of faith when you're constantly fixing your attention, your focus, and making conscious efforts towards the areas of competency. And then stage four that I think in this metaphor is what we're all aiming for is unconscious competence. Something has changed in the very core of your nature. There's a new operating system within you, and as a result, you start to develop a competence and act with a competence that you don't need a conscious effort to operate in. It becomes instinctive. It becomes where your nature, the God nature in you, is so much stronger than your sin nature that it becomes who you are. You don't have to exhaust your energy as much. You don't have to always rally your strength. This is just what you do. And as you follow Christ, you can grow in unconscious competence as he and his ways take over more and more and more and more in your life. Where you can say, I have learned to steward the life of Christ within me. Where the fruit of God himself, Galatians 6, gives the list. The fruit of the Spirit, God himself, is produced in my life. Again, it's a great picture of, it's like getting a new operating system. Now, the question, do you one day eradicate the sinful nature where it still doesn't exist, it still doesn't want to take you down? Not, not in this life. Your sinful nature will always take every opportunity that it, it has and it will push itself in to try to take you down. But there is a hope for a greater freedom as you allow God's desire that he's given in you grow and grow and grow and grow. So let me reinforce some hope that there is freedom and there's greater levels of freedom for you and for me. One of the giants of the faith in scripture, we read some of his passages today. His name is Paul. And in Romans chapter 7, he gives us this struggle, and it's this picture that all of us can relate to. He says, I've discovered this principle or this fact in my life, this influential law in my life, that when I do what is right, I inevitably end up doing what is wrong. And you may have read this you may have determined that sinning is inevitable. I mean, if Paul wrestled with this, if Paul said, hey, my heart delights in the Lord, but inevitably I end up doing what I don't want to do. And so if Paul couldn't do it, maybe it's just the way life is. He was saying in this life, though, 
We still contend with this sin nature, and it's going to take every opportunity to try to seize those opportunities to take me down. But freedom is possible, people. You can respond today just like Paul did in the next part of his rant. He says, who is going to rescue me? Who can save me from this law? And you can respond like Paul did. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Because you see, Paul Paul didn't just write Romans 7. He went on to write Romans chapter 8. And in fact, I want to give you as homework this week, every single one of you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether or not you already have your own biblical reading plan or not, here's what I want to challenge you with, is to this week, dive into Romans chapter 8. Dive into Romans chapter 8 and see what Paul has to say about this issue. One of the highlight verses, he says, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Through the power of the Spirit, not your self-will. Through the power of the Spirit daily. I'm going to get up today and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to please you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart today, God, what stirs in my heart, be pleasing to you. Talk to God just like the psalmist did. Pray, God, I love you. Sing a song just like the psalmist wrote in in the psalms that we read today. And let the amen, God, may everything that I do today be pleasing to you. Hide God's word in your heart. Treasure God's word in your heart. If you're unskilled with doing that, would you just reach out? Reach out to one of the pastors at your church that can connect you with somebody that can help you dig into God's word so that you can hide it and treasure it and store it up in your heart. Get into God's word. Freedom and greater levels of freedom is what God has to offer. He's offering heaven. He's offering eternity. He's offering forgiveness from sin. But it's not just insurance on eternity. He's offering his life in you now. Can I hear an amen in this church today? Come on, would you stand with me? Lord, thank you for your word that you said about your word is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides the joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It gets to the heart of the matter. We thank you for your word. And I'm not speaking about the sermon today. I'm speaking about your word. So God, may we be people that treasure your word, that store it up and out of the wellspring of your life in us, we find ourselves being changed by you, growing in greater levels of surrender and greater levels of naturally and instinctively stewarding this life that you've given us. It's my hope and prayer for all my friends today, and I pray right now for my friends that today is their day to step into relationship with you at all of our campuses and online, that as we respond to you, as they respond to you, there would be a profession with their mouth that you are Lord, meaning you are in charge, I surrender to you, bring your kingdom, your life right now into their life and let it flow out. May we find greater freedom as we serve you, as we let you live through us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.